Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and I have post-conference voice, which you can probably hear. I am on my own again this week, but there's a good reason. We had a podcast last week, and then on Saturday, while I was at Romance Writers of America, I attended a session that was completely mind-blowing. It was on the gendered community of romance, and was two sociology professors, doctors Joanna Gregson and Jen Lois, talking about the sociology of the romance writing community. They've been doing a study for the past four years, funded in part by a grant from the Romance Writers of America that has examined the rules and varying responses to stigma present in the romance writing community. It was fascinating. So after their session, I begged them for an interview and they were nice enough to say yes, even though I sound like this. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and I'll have more information at the end of the podcast. But first, a message from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by the very excellent people at Intermix and by Beauty and the Billionaire, new in the Billionaire Boys Club romance series by Jessica Clare. This book is available for download now, and I'll have more information about it at the end of the podcast. And now, on with the interview. So I'm here with doctors, and they're going to introduce themselves, and they're going to tell me what they do. You go first. Okay, so I'm Dr. Joanna Craigson. Do you whip that out? I'm like, I'm doctor. No, I actually never use doctor. I was just doing that to humor you because you Thank said you. it. I never, ever use that, ever. I was tweeting about you as doc- the doctors. The oh, DR, that's fun. The DRs say. Yeah, I never use that. Um, I think of myself more as Professor Joanna Craigson. So I'm a professor of sociology at Pacific Lutheran University which is in a um, suburb of Tacoma, Washington, in Washington it's State. It's really ugly there. It's hideous. It's a really hard to live there. A yeah. of trees yeah. Yeah. and nature. It's awful to have to live there. There's water and mountains and Ugh. all the things people hate. I hate that, <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. And please introduce yourself for the lovely people at home. I am also professor of sociology, Jen Lois, at Western Washington University, which is in Bellingham, Washington, 15 miles from Canada. Nice. It must also be very hideous where you live. Mm-hmm. Like nothing but like nature and trees and right. pollen. We're on the coast, so you know, it's an annoying ocean with the annoying mountains behind us. So you both, you, are you tenured? Yes. 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 So you got tenured in a pretty place? Mm-hmm. You like won the academic lottery. I know. It's we're not pre- fair. <laughs> we're pretty lucky. Yeah. Pretty and we're also lucky because we've been friends since graduate school in 1993 and we both ended up in the same state just off the same highway right nice okay you're very fortunate Mm -hmm. we are so this is probably the fourth or fifth time i met you Mm -hmm. i remember when i met you it was was it san francisco i think it was in emerald city was it emerald city Mm -hmm. because we sat down and you explained your project and my my little prairie dog brain went what 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 this is gonna be cool so please explain as long as you want just go ahead explain what you're studying and why? We both study um, gender and particularly women in groups that are negatively perceived. Um, I don't know why you want to study romance. <laughs> so our, just our previous projects, we both sort of in our careers have sort of migrated toward those topics. Right. And um, we started reading romance mm-hmm. and then we tried to write a little bit of romance. We joined a local group and we sucked at it and then quickly we kept just emailing each other about the sociologically fascinating aspects we saw among the romance writers we were hanging out with and we had just had an epiphany. We should study this group of people. So the things that are mostly interesting to us are the writer identity, the stigma of the genre, that, that just the misperception that outsiders have when they um, talk to writers, when they talk to readers. There's a stigma for readers as well. Um, and then we, we attended conferences and that kind of thing, and we 
focus on the feminine community, that supportive, nurturing, inclusive community that is so unique, we, in, in our experience anyway, compared to other conferences we've been to. I, I, one of the things that helped us decide to do this research was also identifying a gap that there's been lots of research on the romantic texts, right? Yep. Looking at the construction of heroes and heroines and the story arc. But and who readers identify. Who readers identify with. And, and what are readers doing when they read romance? Exactly. And so, like, like when we read other fiction, we're not doing anything. But when we read romance, we're doing something else. Exactly. So there's oh. research that looks into, like, <laughs> does romance cause false expectations among readers? And that's mm-hmm. about the only social science is looking at... The, the reader experience, right? right. And the so, literary analysis of it. We mm-hmm. thought, well, isn't it interesting that nobody has looked at the people who create this work, um, that is so profoundly influential in the industry and in people's lives? So that was the other thing that sort of sealed the deal for us in terms of this is something that we should study. It's perfectly in line with our sociological backgrounds. It's rich with examples that we think are compelling. And you um, like romance. So and we like romance. Yes. So who are your favorite authors? What, what what books are you like the most excited about reading? Like you guys are flying home today. Yes. You have like a six hour plane ride? Yeah. Seven? Mm-hmm. Who are you reading? I've got a Jenny Crucy book I'm going to finish. Oh, which one? Uh, Crazy for You. Oh, I like that one. And then I have a Kate Brady, which I just got. She's oh. Suspense. Have you read her? I have not. She She's was a great. Rita Award winner a couple years ago for her first book, mm-hmm. One Scream Away. And we love her. Nice. So I also have her third book that I'll read. And I'm going to read a Kristen Higgins. We yes. love her. I've finished all her books because I love her so much. But what got me into it was Suzanne Brockman. And what got me into it was Jen getting into it through Suzanne Brockman. <laughs> so Jen read Sue's first, and then she passed her along to me, and I read her. Mm-hmm. And then we've sort of gone in different directions since then. That I'm, I like historical more. Mm-hmm. Jen likes, or yeah, Jen likes paranormal a little more than I do. A little more, yeah. Um, you like romantic suspense, mm-hmm. military suspense. Mm-hmm. Aside from Sue's, that doesn't really do it for me as much. Mm-hmm. But um, we have Kristen Higgins and Jenny Crusey as our common denominators. Yeah. I think my reading tastes more closely aligned with yours because uh-huh. I don't like suspense. My problem with suspense is that too often the authors um, use children in peril or children mm-hmm. in, who are being harmed mm-hmm. as a way to instill pathos and emotional mm-hmm. um, involvement from the reader. That yanks me out of the story and I just can't read it anymore. That's yeah. like one of my bad. I don't really want to read this. I can't even watch CSI because it's like, we only have an hour. Let's yeah. hurt some kids so the viewer cares. <laughs> like, no, we're not hurting any more children. If you can't write actual pathos, Without harming children, then we are done here. Right, right. It's like my hard line. I love historical. Have you read Kate Noble? No. Okay, I'll give you a list. Okay. But one of the things that I love, I love small town romances in historical settings. <gasps> so Tessa Dare's mm-hmm. Spindle, Spindle Cove, Cove. Save mm-hmm. series is like basically small town smart women. Right. Um, Julianne Long's Penny Royal Green is an interconnected series of families in a small town, and it's a very nosy, typical small town in historical. And then Kate Noble does these characters where they sort of start off in London, and you get the historical setup, like, here are the rules, and these are the social restrictions, and now we're in the country! There's less people, but we still got to obey all those rules. Oh, I like that. And oh, I love her writing. I have a whole Kate Noble file that like lives on my Kindle. If I'm feeling crappy, I got to go read that. Oh, it's so good. I think part of what appeals to me about historicals too is as a gender scholar is the the gender, gender rules. Rules are so explicit in those. Whereas in contemporary stuff, it's not explicit that no. women can't do this and men can't do that. In historical, they just no. that's what it was. So they this spell it out for you. you. This was a thing. These were the constraints. These have you the read, Have you read Sarah McLean? Yes. Oh yeah, she's all about here are the rules. Eh, my character's gonna break them one after yeah. another, after another, after another. Oh, it's very cool. We got one of her books in our goodie bag. Oh, we did. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we did. It has a beautiful cover. Mm-hmm. Red Isn't dress. It pretty. Mm-hmm. It is pretty. 
So what are, you've been to a couple conferences. Mm -hmm. It's our fourth national. Fourth RWA, you've been to Romantic Times. We've been to RT, we've been to several regional conferences, three I think, mm -hmm. regional conferences. We've been to local author signings. We go to monthly meetings of a couple of local chapters. And we just take it all in and experience sort of firsthand because in many of these things you have to try, right? Mm -hmm. Workshops where everybody get out a pencil and start writing. That's right. So we've experienced firsthand how difficult it is It is to write easy romance. to write a good yeah. romance. It is very hard to write a good romance. So our research is truly participant observation because we're participating in the lives of the people we're studying and observing them. So in your presentation today you talked about stigma mm -hmm. and how romance readers negotiate that stigma mm -hmm. and the message that we should be ashamed. And the readers experience that too. I don't think readers feel ashamed that they wrote, read romance. I think they're told they ought to feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like you should be ashamed for reading this but right. when I'm not sorry mm -hmm. and one thing I have to remind myself of is that because I've been talking about romance publicly for so long I am sort of like past the point where mm -hmm. I bless your heart you think I care what you think of right. me that's mm -hmm. so cute mm -hmm. but there are many readers who deeply internalize this feeling of embarrassment that they should tell nobody what they love mm -hmm. because they are told they should feel ashamed about it and they're not really sure why they don't but they don't want to make it clear so when they find somebody who reads romance and loves it as much as they do it's like oh, I found people to talk to where have you been and I still get email like that like I had no idea that there were so many of us I thought I was alone mm -hmm. I don't even tell my librarian there was a, a librarian day presentation here at RWA on Wednesday and one of the librarian said that there are many romance writers who are still completely baffled and flummoxed when a librarian is nice to them when they ask for romance. Wow. So they get that same message right. of shame. You mm -hmm. want to be ashamed for reading that. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but many, many people still persist in that same message. Mm -hmm. One of the things you talked about in your presentation was the negotiation of the stigma mm -hmm. and how on one hand there's this incredible optimism and encouragement but the backside of that is an intolerance of criticism. Mm -hmm. Do you see those two things shifting at all? Do you think that there'll be more tolerance of, of criticism or less support? Or do you think that's sort of a balance that's going to remain? Because as the genre, see the thing with Fifty Shades is that the, everyone is taking it more seriously. Right. Because, wait, oh, it really does make money and people mm -hmm. really are reading it. It was on the Today Show. So if yes. they're talking about right. it, it then must it's be okay. okay. And one of the things I thought was extraordinary about Fifty Shades was that initially it was a status symbol mm -hmm. because it was women from Northern Long Island, Nassau County, and the Upper East Side who had paper copies. Mm -hmm. The paper copies, there weren't that many. They mm -hmm. were like $200 and you couldn't find them. So if you really? Initially, when it was not published by NOP, when it was published by this um, small press in Australia, right. there were no paper copies to be found. If you had one, that was a status symbol. Mm -hmm. And it, you could easily get the digital version, but that's like the knockoff. Right. The, the paper copy was the status symbol. And if you look at the early press coverage, there are women and they're showing their paper copy. Mm -hmm. like, like, I have the book like in three-dimensional form. But anyone could get a hold of the digital copy and read it and still be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's still this status this sort of strata of mm -hmm. paper versus digital. It was fascinating. That is but fascinating. the thing that rocked my brain was the number of women who would say their full names, where they were from, where they mm -hmm. lived, and that they liked this. It was good for their sex lives. It was awesome, and they were very proud of having read it. And I was like, this is kind of amazing. I think that is amazing, but I also think that Fifty Shades was never presented in the mass media as a romance. Right. It you never know? was. It was and more mommy porn, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we heard again and again, mommy mm -hmm. porn. Twitch, and, Twitch. Yeah, exactly. Twitch, Twitch. No one ever acknowledged that there's lots of other books that, that you know, enacted the same... 
I don't want to say tropes if that sounds at all like devaluing. No, it, no, but it does not. It's, it, it is exactly. It, that was yeah. basically a very big BDSM light Harlequin presents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the familiar tropes. And so, and so there was no acknowledgement that there's a whole industry and a whole subgenre that's already doing that. Mm-hmm. And so romance really has not, I don't think, in my perception, been brought up much by that because nobody connects it to romance. I right. mean, we do, but... The sales of some authors have, we know that, right? The books that are put on the shelf next to it mm-hmm. with covers that are monochromatic See, with that's an object. what I was going to say. Right? Monochromatic single male item. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was going to say. I think that there is a section of romance that has been elevated. Mm-hmm. Well, Sylvia Day is certainly... Sylvia Day, yeah. Laura Lee, a lot of the contemporary erotic romance authors, mm-hmm. Tiffany Reeds, who mm-hmm. has a very specific type of contemporary erotic romance... Right. Now that that's marketed in a similar fashion, people now see the connection into romance. Mm-hmm. But in many stores, those are still shelved separately. They're separate. It's, it's not next to the pastel and the, exactly. the flowers, and the flowers and the castles, the woman in the dress. Yeah. But I think there's more and more awareness. Like my my theory was there was going to be a huge amount of attrition, but there was going to be a small portion that said, "Wait, there's more. I'm so there." So there's going to be right. a small introductory group who were brought in by Fifty Shades, mm-hmm. and. Much like there were many readers who were sort of brought into YA romance by Twilight, there there's going to be more romance readers. But I don't think romance as a whole is now taken more seriously. I think that people are aware, oh, so those romances, like that book, make money. This is an actual industry. Yeah. And there's a sort of shift in the way it's perceived from the outside. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a shift in the way it's perceived on the inside? Maybe. I think maybe those authors who write erotic romance, we've certainly... I think we've heard them become more mainstream. When we started this research three years ago, do you remember we asked we asked somebody at the local level what erotic romance was? And she said, anything that's deviant. No, I, she oh, gave a Jen's much... Correct. <laughs> Jen has a better de- memory for detail. I remember because I was embarrassed. Because for sociologists, deviance is not... Necess- it's a social construct, and it just reflects how people are categorized, how they all cast others, right? But deviance has a very reactionary response to the average person because we all think of, like, you know, drug users and back alleys. Pedophiles. As, yeah, as being, like, deviance deviance. is a connotation of harm. Exactly. Right. And so she said, oh, it's when you push the boundaries with sexuality, and I forget how she described it, but my sort of summary of that, and I responded, oh, so deviant sexuality, which to me is a morally neutral thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, well, not deviance. And Joanna had to jump in and say, well, she just means non-mainstream or, you know, pushing oh, the boundaries or something like that. So I use the word deviant and that, that I That has a totally different totally different in our world. Because yes. it's, it's morally neutral mm-hmm. in our sociological right. world. It's it just means different. It means deviation yeah. from the norm. Right. Right. It's not a judgmental term. Right. Or And, and that p- other people judge it negatively, but certainly not me as a sociologist. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. that that's the implication and how we use it. But she took it as like, well, it's not for like freaks, you know. And I, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Even back then, the fact that she couldn't clearly articulate what erotic romance was so yes. we had to stumble over the descriptive words. Yes, mm-hmm. now Shows we all know where where we've come in just three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, yes. I'm saying like I'm part of the community now. But you are. People know who you are. Yeah, oh, I guess the doctors. Yeah, here. Oh, yes. Hello. <laughs> well, there's always been a little bit more academic examination each year as mm-hmm. more and more more and more professors and academics sort of look at the. There were people in my Twitter stream today who were like, "Oh my God, this is what I'm studying. Thank you so much. I'm an undergrad in sociology. This oh, is amazing. Really? Oh yeah, people Ooh. were really excited about this." Now, one of the things you talked about that I wanted to ask you was the professional response that you've received. You were denied a grant. Mm-hmm. I later got it, but... Did you, like, respond and be like, you're a douche? 
kind of. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, you know, I just, this is, and I guess I didn't justify it. I didn't think I would have to justify it to the extent that I did. So when I applied the next year, I just went to town on the justification. And maybe it was a different grant committee. They sort of kept that silent. I didn't know who it was, but then I they didn't get those that, comments. But the first time it was not not academically appropriate. Mm -hmm. What did they say? Of dubious scientific merit. Yeah. Oh. I remember. I Bite felt me. Jen's pain. Mm -hmm. Because she get t-shirts. We're of dubious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a there's an NPR podcast called the Pop Culture Happy Hour. Oh yeah, hour. I listen to it. One of the things that the Pop Culture Happy Hour talks mm -hmm. about is how every now and again they get comments like, "Well, this is beneath NPR's dignity." Mm -hmm. We're talking about television and shoes right. and books and comic mm -hmm. books and like, "Okay, please get over yourself." You experience that same thing oh, yeah. in your community. Mm -hmm. Which in our world we call it the contagion of stigma. That even rubbing elbows against somebody or something that's associated with stigma in society, it, it rubs off. Yes, mm -hmm. and if you associate yourself with the person who is altercasted, check out my language. Yeah, look at you fancy <laughs> pants sociologist. Right. So if you associate with the person who is altercasted anyway, you yourself become altercasted. Yes. One of the things that I've seen discussed online a lot is whether or not romance is feminist. Have you ever talked about that? Is that something you discuss or is that something we do. you So what yeah. do you think? I mean, I know it's not a simple yes, no question, right. yet it's always phrased that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. Okay, so my thoughts are that the premier book to go to on this is Beyond Heaving Bosoms. Bless your heart. <laughs> Swear to God. Bye. Who's it written by, Jen? Tell us about it. <laughs> Sarah Wendell and Candace Yeah, what do you know? say to us like where I can not I not ask them to say that <laughs> where can I get more sociology on romance and I tell them I think you do too oh, yeah you know the best sociological source on romance is not written by sociologists but you need to check out this book and not only is it hilarious and entertaining but it is insightful and it is critical red, right? <laughs> no, but you, you don't need to turn red because it just, you to. should just know um it's brilliant, Thank and you. it is a very complex, layered feminist analysis of the pros and the cons, and it's not an easy answer, and I think you no, lay that not. out in that book. Yeah. You I, know? I think it basically is because it, 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 at absolute base structure level, like foundation level, it's written by women. If you've seen all the editors, there's mm -hmm. only like two dude editors. Mm -hmm. It's produced and made by women, and it is consumed by women. That has to be a feminist transaction. That mm -hmm. has to have some sort of inherent feminism, yeah. even if it's dealing with archetypal, um, uh, heteronormative, and uh, patriarchal roles. Mm -hmm. We're still subverting the crap out of them just by doing it. That's my theory. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the same token, and here I'm going to quote Nora Roberts, yes. because you have to anytime you talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I asked her, not that we were hanging out, but in one of those chats, yeah. why she thinks the genre is so stigmatized. And she said, oh, it's simple. It's a genre written by women, about women, for women. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 simultaneously the source of devaluation and the source of empowerment. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. I agree yeah. with you. And what sociologists look at is, you know, so some people will say, oh, well, I can tweet about my own sexuality and that's feminist. Um, but I think there's a, another piece that's often not looked at, which is what is the social context in which you are expressing that and how are people interpreting that? So you might feel like it's this expression of empowerment, but if it's not um, understood, 
by, by other people like that, it's just going to be used to disempower you. And so yes. I'm not saying you shouldn't express it, but that it's an ongoing battle and it doesn't always translate into social change. Yeah. Like what you were talking about with writers who decide to embrace and publicize mm -hmm. and, and make a show of their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Display. Displaying of their sexuality mm -hmm. as opposed to disassociation with sexuality. Right. And right. that's definitely some writers embrace the sexuality mm -hmm. and talk openly about their sexual experience. And I also educate about things like BDSM because one of my biggest complaints about Fifty Shades is it is an accurate and unsafe portrayal of BDSM. Mm -hmm. um, most notably that the person who is introducing you into the world should not ever be the only source of information that you have. And this girl's too stupid to use Google more than 12 seconds, but anyway. <laughs> not that I'm annoyed by that. But at the same time, if you embrace that so openly, it will absolutely be used to stigmatize you mm -hmm. and, and label you as deviant and outside mm -hmm. and weird. But you also need people on the ends of the continuum to move the norm more toward that yeah, continuum. Right. Push you know? the envelope. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Like, like we're so you all need normal it. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do next? What's your next steps for your research? And where can people find out more about it? What are you, have you published anything? Have you talked We haven't published anything yet. Our, our... Can I publish some of your things? Can I publish a thing, please? What kind of thing? <laughs> oh, write words down in coherent order okay. and put them on the website. That's we can I publish do. kind of a summary of what we've found so far. Please. Mm -hmm. um, we have our first journal article will be ready to submit next, next week. week. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully that'll be out in press, but it takes a long time. Yeah. I had somebody in my Twitter stream saying that they are at a university that has a romance-friendly sociology university press person. <laughs> huh. I'll give you the name. Okay. I have it in my Twitter stream. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I'm telling you, Twitter knows everything. Twitter they know everything. So first is publication of First the next publication article. of art article and then think about what's the next article gonna be. So publishing a few articles and then putting them together in a book. Sociology articles in academic journals and then putting them together and filling in other chapters to make a book possibly more of a trade book. Yeah, which is awesome. more accessible to yes. more people. Well, that was one of the things that was so great about your presentation, how accessible it was to someone who knew diddly poo about sociology. Like, I have no idea that I wrote anything sociological in the first book. I had no idea because I do not understand sociology. Yes, you do. You well, do. I have a degree in English you didn't and know Spanish, it. but I, I... You have a sociological imagination. Yes. Sweet. Mm -hmm. I am so going to get that tattooed on mm -hmm. me because it's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that you did was you broke down very complex ideas that you can... That's a language that you speak with other sociologists that, like, these are words that we never use. Mm -hmm. We never talk about alter casting. Mm -hmm. We talk about stigma, but not in the same way. Mm -hmm. Even the dif difference in the definition of deviant, that's not something that we do. So you actually broke down a language very easily for readers and, and writers, and it was such a cool presentation. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I hope you come back and do it again. We hope so. We Well, we haven't even talked about this. Jen's probably wondering, like, who's this we? <laughs> I, totally I hope to. Want to do okay, it again. yeah. I hope that we have the opportunity to present it again because mm -hmm. it's so near and dear to our hearts, and we think it's fascinating. So, are you and going to RT? No, you can no. present at RT. Mm -hmm. That's an idea. Would, but that would be like super casual. Like, you could make a game out of it. Really, <laughs> you could make role playing games out of that. You could throw candy at people who yeah, yeah. karaoke. You <laughs> can make it karaoke. Sociology karaoke. Sociology's I, gone wild. I would so pay to see that. Yeah, <laughs> I would buy all the margaritas. <laughs> Well, if you're buying, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah, let's do it. Mm. So you're going to go to Art of Viewing next year? That's our hope. Yeah, right? I hope. We had a talk, you know, when we were at RT last year, last April, and we were thinking, well, gosh, we're almost done with our data collection, and we probably don't have a reason to go to these conferences anymore, and that's when we decided we should ask to present our findings. Then we have a reason. Then we have a the reason. Conference. 
Yes, you can keep presenting pieces of your findings because I mean I'm sure the data collection is more than 45 minutes worth of presentation. Oh, we have so much yeah, data. Yeah, so we had to decide what to include in today's. Yeah, you can, so much. you can just keep attending conferences yeah. on this data for like 10 years. Yeah, and we're okay with that. I'm okay. okay with that. Good. Then we're going to switch projects and do something else in romance. We decided because we never want to leave. We never want to. We'll leave. do readers. We'll do librarians. We'll do oh, something. Oh, I love this. Yes, yeah. I so want to know all about it. We're just staying. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the cool things that you do is that you're actually looking at the community and, and, and identifying the rules that govern the social social interaction mm-hmm. of the community, which I understand is sociology. Mm-hmm. These are rules that we're aware of, but we don't have names for. So mm-hmm. you're giving us like a nomenclature to describe the things that we deal with. And that's very empowering for the people within the community to understand what the community yeah. does. It's so much of our methodology, our MO, is to have an outsider perspective, but also an insider perspective. Yes. Right? You hang out long enough so you understand. You're fluent. You're, we're fluent in what the challenges and the experiences are, but yes. then we can offer our outsider analytical yes. mm-hmm. lens right. to so Basically thing. what you're doing is translating. Translating, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think that I think like you said that emotions come from social situations. I think language also you have different community language. Yeah. And it's not just code switching. There's mm-hmm. the different words that you mm-hmm. use. Like I talk about things here that I don't talk about anywhere else except my website. Mm-hmm. And I don't you know, I, I can't talk to like my mother in law about right. any of this stuff. She doesn't get it at all. So no, these are all languages I speak. Mm-hmm. And I think when you can translate something from one language to another so that more people understand what that mm-hmm. one community is doing, it's really powerful. You also can't see things sometimes when you're so mired in them, right? No, and so as outsiders or at least in the beginning oh, as outsiders. Right. This you, is my tribe, and that has a meaning. Yeah, so we see things, and we're struck by these words, and the you know the thank you speeches that thank husbands for, quote-unquote, helping them. and Babysitting. Thanks for babysitting the kids. And, if I ever thank my husband for babysitting, he would kick my ass. Yeah, yeah it could be, because it's insulting to him, too. Oh, yeah, Hello, it's I'm a devaluation of actually not a, ba- of a babysitter. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, those things, I think, as outsiders, we see that when you are day in, day out immersed in this world, you, you just don't even see them anymore. It's, it's taken for granted knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that's part and of I what see, we do. I see that when I am home alone with my kids and my husband travels, like, nobody calls. If I go to a conference a couple times a year. They call to check on him. Are you okay? Do you want to come up? I mean, do you need some help? Do and, you want to come for dinner? Yeah. Do you I never you, get asked to dinner when I'm home alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you come up and hang out with us? You know, and... Mm-hmm. and it makes him more angry than mm-hmm. it makes me because yeah. his role as a parent is devalued. But there's also mm-hmm. no real, this is a totally separate thing, but there's no real accurate portrayal of contemporary fatherhood. Right, right. There is still it's this. this Cliched Mr. Mom. There's bumbling. Mr. Mom, there's bumbling, there's absent, there's distant, mm-hmm. and there's clueless. Mm-hmm. Or a combination mm-hmm. thereof. There's never a dad who is a dad. And mm-hmm. when I go out to the park, I see all the awesome dads. You know, mm-hmm. tattoo dad who mm-hmm. raises his kids and playing and right. diaper. Like, my the the men who are fathers along with my husband they're equally fluent in diaper changing spit up covering and things like that. There's a As shared, they should be right. There's a shared partnership, but yet, I'm 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 actually wondering if I should do a count of the number of Rita speeches that thank the husbands for thank you for giving me this time. We mm-hmm. would love it if you would, since oh, we won't be there tonight. I'll totally do it. I'll I'll have a whole chat transcript. I'm yeah, for watch. giving the time or for watching watching, watching the, the kids. kids, not parenting. Thank you for eating macaroni and cheese and pizza. Yes, thank you for excu- being yeah excusing being me okay. for not, not making dinner. dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, not not to devalue women who are in that situation, and that's the family dynamic that they have going, and that might work for them. But to and then, that is a negotiation they have to make. They have to say right. thank you because yeah. they are aware they are being given something yeah, gift. outside the the norm. Right. right, they are being excused from their expected duties. Right, and many women are happy in that situation but there's a significant proportion of women who it can't even talk about it because it raises those resentment issues and they you know there's and so no it's actually a tough form. thing to talk about yeah because when you 
let people know about their inequality, then they get pissed, and then they're in a relationship that they're pissed about. Yeah. I am always convinced that if there is a way to educate women in America about what kind of maternity leave policies exist in other countries, mm-hmm. it would change in a real freaking. You are such a sociologist. Yeah. Like, do you know what Canada gets? Do you know mm-hmm. South Africa? We're behind South Africa. I know. I think I am, we're behind Rwanda too. I am. Yeah. I am old enough to remember. We were very congratulatory of ourselves for being so much more socially advanced than South Africa because we didn't openly persecute you know, mm-hmm. people of color as mm-hmm. opposed to subtly persecuting them right. in other ways. Do you understand what other people have? And I like to tell people, yeah, Sweden, like parents, fathers are suing for equal time mm-hmm. now because they want two years as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, what, two years? Two years, not okay. two days or two I got weeks. weeks. I got eight weeks and then I had 12 weeks because mm-hmm. I had a C-section. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, if you educate women what they don't have, I think it would change in a real mm-hmm. big hurry. But I just I don't think women know. Mm-hmm. And I remember one, a couple months ago, well, somebody I know on Twitter was selling her computer so she could afford two more weeks of maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not right. No, it's a structural problem. It's a huge structural problem. And I don't know if part of it is the willing suppression of, of knowledge among women or that it's just really hard to unilaterally inform people about things. Part of it, I think, is how we define work and work as incompatible with how we define family. And other cultures have a much easier integration with that. But the oh, ideal worker in the United States is someone who's completely unencumbered with outside responsibilities. Yes. And because of the and way we're families... We're a workaholic culture. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of people who are expats who have since gone back to their to their countries because they're just like, I cannot handle the work-family balance in this country. Mm-hmm. I'm going home. I'm yeah. going to Australia. I'm going yeah. to New Zealand. Forget this. It's you, true. The more I travel outside the U.S., the more I'm bummed for American women that they really don't know what other women in countries have that we do not. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes me angry that we don't mm-hmm. have it, you know? Mm-hmm. What The slide I skipped in our presentation today was one that talked about the variation in levels of support that women experience in this industry, yes. which ranges from... From their husbands. From their husbands. Levels of support from husbands and family members. Family. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, from your, your office is a TV tray mm-hmm. that you pull out in the living room every once in a while to a cottage in the backyard to an, you know, an office downtown mm-hmm. and the support ranges from I'll babysit the kids to I'm a co-parent and everything mm-hmm. in between. But there's this, this is lack of norms in the culture, mm-hmm. the romance culture, which reflects our ambivalence mm-hmm. about working women more mm-hmm. broadly. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. So it's, it's, there's no clear path for women because we're still trying to figure out not just in romance, mm-hmm. But in general, in broad broad spectrum, broad like, spectrum, what is our work? Yeah, what is our work? What values it? Does we have to earn a paycheck for it? Does it have to be more than our partners, our male partners, for it to count? Have you read Nora Roberts' J.D. Robb series? In her vision of the future, stay-at-home moms are no li- they have a wage, they hmm. get paid. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a wage for being a stay-at-home mom. Hmm. Like, that's awesome. That's working. Yeah, you know, Hochschild, who Joanna cited today, Arlie Hochschild, who wrote The Second Shift, which is all about women doing both jobs, working women doing home and work, um, talked about the stalled revolution, where the feminist revolution allowed middle-class women who had previously been able to elect to stay home to move into the workforce, previously male-dominated area. Uh But we don't have the reverse happening. Men are not being encouraged to go to the devalued work of the home, childcare, housework, that kind of thing. And so the revolution has stalled because we haven't asked men to do their part. Or they haven't stepped up or mm-hmm. recognized. Or mm-hmm. it hasn't been valued enough for them yeah. to do it. Exactly. It's I devalued. A, I have a friend who is, their their family role was always going to be that he was going to be the stay-at-home dad and she was going to work. And he has started a whole website to talk about how being the stay-at-home dad is often a struggle, especially when he has to deal with his own feelings of his wife making more money than he does mm-hmm. as a freelancer. And yeah. he has to ask her for money and how upsetting that was for him and then how upset he got about 
how upset he was. Right. He was having feelings about his feelings, which are very mm-hmm, complicated mm-hmm. and difficult to manage. Well, it's the only identity we allow men to anchor in is the breadwinner role yes. yeah. because we don't validate their family roles to the extent that we should. And when you lose your breadwinner role, which is an increasingly common mm-hmm. circumstance right now, mm-hmm. it is an enormous identity crisis yeah. for men. And there's no support for that. Mm-hmm. That brings up uh, brings to mind something somebody told us yesterday who has a foot in the mystery slash thriller community as well as romance. Right. That one of the differences is in presentation of self, which is a sociological thing you can also use from now on. Presentation of self. Yes, is that um, women romance writers are much more apt to describe their failures. And really, may, in teaching moments, in teaching moments, teaching in, moments. in keynote speeches, mm-hmm. I screwed up. Here's what I did. Male authors at these things she's attended. We haven't been to any yet, so we don't know this for sure. Um, are less likely to talk about their failures and more likely to just simply talk about their successes, which makes sense given the you know the culture and what we allow men to do and what we allow them to talk about, mm-hmm. what we value them for. Yeah, failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a a, a, a badge that women are told to wear and, and promote yeah. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So I really want to go to a thriller writer or a mystery writer conference and pay attention just to the keynotes. Oh, Do they have you know these heart wrenching emotional stories about failure and picking yourself up and is and, and family and family mm-hmm. talking about their family? Do they end with a "You can do it"? I know you can do it. Keep you're trying. Brilliant. You're brilliant. Uh-huh. You're awesome. You're you awesome. It. Or is it you know just thanks for yes. supporting me in my career? You have no idea. Yes. Right. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I found their study and their response to the community and the way that they can be part of it and examine it from the outside fascinating. Plus, I didn't know there was language for the things that they were describing. I learned new words like alter casting. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. This song is called Percolator by the Hanuman Collective, and I'll have links and information about them on the website when this entry is up. And of course, I have a message from our sponsors because they're awesome. If you're aching for your romance escape fix, search no more. Download Jessica Clare's Beauty and the Billionaire right now for the achingly sexy story of loner billionaire Hunter and Gretchen, the feisty ghostwriter who's captivated him. Will they or won't they? Read Beauty and the Billionaire to find out. This is the second ebook in the Billionaire Boys Club contemporary romance series. If you'd like to know more, I have more. You ready? Hunter Buchanan is a scared loner and billionaire real estate developer who lives a reclusive life. He's fascinated by feisty ghost raider Gretchen and lures her to his estate. But will this beast find true love with his beauty or only heartbreak? This book is available from Intermix and it's available for download now. I have one more interview from RWA with a romantic suspense author that you would like very much. I did. And you guys know I don't actually like romantic suspense. I was like, I want to read these books. So I can't wait to share this interview with you. That'll be coming soon. And as always, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading.